All scripture is breathed out by God and it's suitable and useful for teaching us and building us up in our faith. But there are some passages that are really pivotal to help us understand God and his salvation and how he relates to his people. And Genesis, Genesis 17 is one of those passages. Today I want to ask and answer the following questions. What did God promise to Abraham? I want to show what God promised and what he really believed. Secondly, what's the meaning of circumcision? I want to show that circumcision points to a new heart that's right with God and ultimately it points to Christ. Who was in the covenant? I want to show that this covenant was established only for some of Abraham's descendants. And finally, and very importantly, how do we fit in? I want to show that we who are non-Jewish believers are together with Jewish believers, members of the same covenant with Abraham. So God made promises to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and then again in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, Abraham cut the various animals in two and the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch went between them. And this ceremony was God committing himself to his promises with a covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement that has great blessings uh, for those that keep its requirements and great curses for those who break it. And here in Genesis 17, God appeared to Abraham and made similar specific promises once again. So let's look at the promises that God made to Abraham. Firstly, he will give Abraham many children. This is stated five times between verses 2 and 6. should not have closed my Bible, and I hope you didn't either, or didn't. Uh, Genesis 17, from uh, 2 to 6. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. The promise of many children is also for Abram's very old wife, Sarah, and specifically includes the promise of a son to be named Isaac. So in verses uh, 16, I will bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. In verse 19, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then in verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God also promised Abraham the land of Canaan. In verse 8, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That last sentence is another promise, I will be their God. Uh, that's also repeated in the previous verse, number 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God promises to be their God. Did Abraham believe these promises? It doesn't say uh, in this passage, but when he heard that Sarah would have a son, it did make him laugh out loud. But actions speak louder than words. Immediately after God finished speaking with Abraham, he went and obeyed God's new commandment. 
He circumcised every male in his household, and he himself too was circumcised. So this, to me, is more than enough evidence that Abraham believed God's promise. As, as I said, God had made similar promises in uh, Genesis 15. If you flip that back there, uh, I want to read a very important verse, 15 verse 6. This verse is quoted five times in the New Testament. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Substituting the pronouns, and Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to Abraham as righteousness. For the context there. So here it's explicit. Abram believed God. God counted it to him as righteousness. But Abraham was under sin, just like we all are. We believers, we're all under sin. We fall short of the glory of God. We've been justified by his grace as a gift, by the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. So our righteousness that's counted to us by faith in Christ is Christ's righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness given to us. So was Abraham's righteousness counted to him simply because he believed that he'd, uh, God would give him a country and many children and bless the world through him? I want to show you that he believed a lot more than just that. He believed that, but he believed a lot more as well. Abraham was justified by faith in the Christ that he looked forward to, the same Christ that we look back to. I'm going to take us through a bunch of different verses through the Bible, starting in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is often called the faith chapter. Verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then in verse 16, But as it is, they, that's Abraham and others, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. <coughs> Abraham was looking forward to a heavenly city prepared by God. He understood the promise of land to include the promise of heaven. So Abraham believed in a promise of heaven. Now in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 to 9, know then, that it is those, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So these are amazing words. When God said, In you shall all the nations be blessed, Abraham was hearing the gospel. The gospel was that people from all nations would be blessed by salvation, by faith, and they'd be counted as sons of Abraham. And then in John chapter 8, verse 56, get the words of of Jesus Jesus was talking to uh, some of the Jews that were in opposition to him and he said your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day he saw it and was glad now we don't know exactly what Abraham understood 
or what he saw, exactly how he saw it concerning the gospel. But we do know that it was enough for Jesus to say that Abraham saw the day of Jesus and rejoiced. So what did Abraham believe? He believed the gospel, that the Messiah would come and save him and save the nations of Gentiles who would believe in him and become his children. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what's the meaning of circumcision? There are many misconceptions about this. The Jews themselves often misunderstood it. Now this isn't a a theoretical, historical, theological kind of question. It's very uh, powerful. The meaning is powerful and applies to us today. So circumcision is very closely related to this covenant that God made with Abraham. In fact, in verse 10, God simply says that it is the covenant. In verse 11, he describes it as a sign of the covenant. And in verse 13, God says that through circumcision, his covenant will be in your flesh. One of the mistakes that some of the Jews made was to think that having a right relationship with God just depended on being born as the son of Abraham in the covenant, being circumcised, and that was it. This is what we call nominalism. A Jew in name and outward sign only, but bearing no spiritual fruit, having no faith or uh, affection for God in their heart. John the Baptist condemned nominalism. He condemned those Jews that thought that they were fine just because we have Abraham as our father. Uh, A good recording of that is in Luke chapter 3. From verse uh, 7 to 9. He, that's John the Baptist, said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Also, uh, Jesus in John said to some of the Jews uh, back in John 8, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So circumcision was never meant to be a, a dead ritual worn by men who hated God. Circumcision was always a spiritual matter. It's, circumcision is of the heart, leads to good works. This is most clearly explained by uh, Paul in Romans chapter 2. Verses 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Outward circumcision was always meant to correspond to inward circumcision of the heart. A true Jew isn't someone who is circumcised. He must have a renewed heart one that loves God and loves their neighbours themselves. Now this is not simply the New Testament spiritualising something from the Old Testament. Jesus and the apostles didn't add some spiritual dimension to circumcision that wasn't there back in Genesis 17. I want to share just two examples of heart circumcision from the Old Testament. 
uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And then in uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 25 and 26, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all of those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Note there that God says he's going to punish those that are circumcised merely in the flesh. It's heart circumcision he's looking for. A heart that loves God and follows his commands. A heart that's righteous and holy. Anything else is nominalism. That's what's being condemned here. Romans 4 shows that um, Abraham's circumcision was a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. It wasn't a seal of his own righteousness... Uh, because the righteousness that he had was credited to him by God. So circumcision points to a new heart and righteousness given by God, but ultimately circumcision points to Christ. It's his righteousness. It's Christ's uh, regeneration. So who was in this covenant? Not every person descended from Abraham remained in the promise of the covenant, even those who were circumcised in the flesh. We can see this manifest itself already in uh, Genesis 17. When God told Abraham that Sarah will have a son, um, Abraham reminded God that he had a 13-year-old son, Ishmael, and asked God to bless him and continue the line through him. And then in reply, God says in verse 19, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. The answer on Ishmael is no. The covenant will be established with Isaac and with Isaac's descendants. Ishmael will be blessed, but but God will establish the covenant with Isaac. And then two of Isaac's sons, if you were paying attention in the kids' talk, you would have seen Esau and Jacob. Uh, They didn't share uh, equals before they'd been born or they'd done anything good or bad. Rebecca was told by God, the older will serve the younger. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He became the patriarch of God's chosen people. Esau became the father of the Edomites, a people that God hated. The Edomites were one of those people that Jeremiah said were circumcised only in the flesh. Uh, Through the prophet Malachi, God described Edom as the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. But even within the covenant community of Israel, there was this nominalism. There were hypocritical covenant members who didn't believe, they rejected God. This happened time and again. God sent prophets to his people. He punished them with plagues and sieges and defeats and exile. But God always remained faithful to his promises. Even in those darkest days, God always kept for himself a faithful remnant within his chosen people who were true Jews. They were circumcised in their hearts. They live by faith. Because some things changed a lot through the events of the New Testament. One change was that Jesus made baptism the sign that must be applied to those who believe in him and become his disciples. In the Great Commission in Matthew, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold. I am with you always to the end of the age. 
At Pentecost, about 3,000 Jews believed the gospel preached by Peter. He told them, repent and be baptised, and they did. So the church was born. It was led by the apostles, made up of Jews that believed and were baptised. But then an even bigger change than baptism came along in Acts chapter 10. Peter, along with six believers, went to the home of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, an uncircumcised man. It was unlawful for Peter to even go into that man's house, and he'd been commanded to go. Cornelius had his house full of guests, ready to listen to what Peter had to say. So Peter started to explain the gospel to them. And while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all of those that heard the word. This was just like the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happened at Pentecost. And God used all this to show Peter and his six friends at first that the good news of the gospel was for uncircumcised Gentiles as well. And so Peter commanded that they be baptised. When Peter retold this story to the other uh, church members and the apostles in Jerusalem, uh, they glorified God and they said with amazement, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So this was great news, especially for Gentiles. But there were some uh, important questions that it raised. If uncircumcised Gentiles were going to be saved and enter into... And there were some very strong views both ways. But Christ's apostles determined at the Council of Jerusalem, that's recorded in Acts 15, that Gentile believers did not need circumcision or to follow the law of Moses. God had removed this distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, He'd also given his approval by the baptism of the Holy Spirit on those believers at the house of Cornelius. The apostles had no warrant to add further burdens onto Gentile believers. To enter the covenant community of believers in the New Testament, baptism is enough. Uh, This is described by Paul in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 27 to 29. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In fact, in the same letter, Paul goes so far as to say that if a Gentile believer accepts circumcision, they've fallen from grace. Christ will be of no advantage to them. Jews and the uncircumcised Greeks, how can they be united in this way? Abraham received circumcision as the sign from God. In Romans chapter 4, Paul helps us to understand our unity in Abraham. He first points out that when Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, he was still uncircumcised. That was in Genesis chapter 15. It's only in about 12 or 13 years later in Genesis 17 that circumcision comes. And so Paul writes in Romans 4, 11 and 12, He, that's Abraham, received a sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is so helpful to help us stitch the whole narrative together who are not circumcised but he still had that faith after he was circumcised so he's the father of the Jews as well well not those that are merely circumcised uh, note but those who walk in the footsteps of faith it's believing Jews who have Abraham as their father
In Romans 11, Paul uses uh, the metaphor of an olive tree to describe the covenant people of God. So imagine Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they're on the trunk. And then you've got the 12 uh, sons of Israel as, as big branches. And then there's just more and more branches after that that have grown on this uh, huge cultivated olive tree. But Paul tells us that there's branches that have been broken off this olive tree. God's broken off branches because of unbelief. These are the Jews that did not believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, The believing Jews, the ones who walk in the footsteps of faith, they remain in the tree. And then Gentile believers are pictured as wild olive shoots. They've been grafted into this tree. Branches that were broken off, they can be grafted back in again through faith. That's what happens when Jews by birth believe the gospel. They're grafted back into that same tree. There's also a warning in Romans 11 for us grafted in branches to not be arrogant but to hold on by faith. Because if natural Jewish branches were broken off because of unbelief, the grafted in Gentile branches can be broken off just as easily. So the warning there is to all Christians from any background. Don't assume that you're right with God just because you grew up in a church or because you come to church now. Uh, There's no extra points if your father was a minister or a missionary or an elder or if you are a a pastor or missionary or or an elder. Uh, Your status before God isn't fixed by financial giving. These are all great things, but they're nothing to boast about. They certainly don't keep you attached to the tree. Faith is what's needed, a personal, living, active faith in Christ. That's what's needed to keep you attached to that tree. We need to live by this faith, and the same for our grandchildren after them. And if you don't believe, if you're sitting here and don't believe, whether it's your first time in church or you've been in church your whole life, the answer is simple. Believe in Christ. Repent. Bear fruit. Pray to God for his mercy today. Because I can promise you that he will hear you. He will respond. God is the one who circumcises your heart and makes you clean. God is the one who can graft you into that tree. So in conclusion, uh, I do hope I've helped you to better understand how central Genesis 17 and the covenant with Abraham and circumcision are to the gospel message throughout the whole Bible. I'd like to close by reading again the words of Galatians 3, 7-9 and see how our inclusion as sons of Abraham fulfills God's original promise to Abraham in his everlasting covenant. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those of faith are blessed. Father, we do thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who you sent to live a perfect life and die on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that he took the punishment for our sins. Lord, we thank you that by uh, having faith in him, we are uh, made made right and and made to be children of Abraham. Father, we do pray for all of those that are are Jews by birth around the world that uh, do not believe in the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would... um, be working in their hearts and draw many of them to you and graft those back into the olive tree of faith.
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.